0: Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 49, Collected the Right Hand. I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Rob as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? Good, and yourself? I'm doing good. I was a guest on your podcast a few weeks ago, and it went fantastic. We had a great discussion, and I'm very excited to have you on my podcast.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a different format, but yet kind of touching the same
0: genre. Yeah, yeah. so if you want to get a full idea of our stories, you listen to his episode on his podcast and my episode, and then you'll understand us both a lot better. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we covered you pretty in-depth on my podcast. Yeah, we, we touched a lot of different topics, which is great. But today, it's all about you. And speaking of which, who is Rob? my
1: online persona is the infamous 421 rob i kind of had built this branding around 421 whether it be media house or 421 rob on instagram sharing a combination of like my adventurous lifestyle with playing cards kind of tied into it
0: and uh, what is your instagram so we can give out a good shout out before we start Uh, It's just 421Rob on Instagram. There you go. So I'll put that in the description so people can find it. I've decided to do a shout out at the beginning and a shout out at the end. So people listening can look it up while listening, have a visual. But uh, yes, so today we're going to be talking about your hobby, which is cards. And you're considered a cardist, correct? Yeah. How did you get introduced to collecting cards? So
1: I was in Vancouver visiting some friends about a year and a half ago. And we were playing uh, Crib and somebody gave me a deck of cards and like not a fancy deck, just like your standard bicycle rider backs and told me to shuffle the deck. And I was like, I'm 30 years old and I don't know how to like comfortably shuffle a deck of cards. It's something that I feel like any 30 year old should know how to do. Like it's just a basic life skill. And I couldn't do it. And so like, I was kind of awkwardly like underneath the table trying to like mix up the cards as best as I could in my hand. And then when I got home from that trip to Vancouver, I was like, well, I don't have a job right now. So I've got 24 available hours in a day less whatever I decide to sleep. I'm gonna go Google how to shuffle a deck of playing cards. And I kind of stumbled into this world of cardistry that is think like yo-yo tricks with playing cards. So people will do like flips and tosses and spins and uh, like cascades, which is kind of like a waterfall with the deck of cards going between like two hands and stuff like that. And like this world is huge. And I had no idea that it was so big. And then like one thing led to another and you start being like, oh, man there's this really dope deck of cards out there. I got to track it down. And then it starts kind of getting this fire burning inside of you to like track down these rare or unusual decks that kind of like resonate with you. So that's kind of how I got into it. And I now, I think I'm sitting on like 75 decks of cards, different decks. There's a couple that I've bought like multiple decks of to hold on to you.
0: Wow. And, um, so these decks of cards, do you go and trade them or you just collect them and keep them for yourself? Because I know some people, they get a deck of card and they trade it for another valuable deck of cards. There's a pretty interesting market where like sometimes it's like,
1: oh, I'm going to go buy like it's called a brick, but it's 12 decks. I'm going to go buy a brick or a half brick of playing cards uh, and then I'm going to hold on to it because I know they're either going to go up in value and I'll be able to resell them on like eBay or there's a subreddit called r slash playing card market Uh, So I know that I'll either be able to resell them there, or I'll be able to trade them with other collectors for other rare decks that they might have that I might not have.
0: So I would imagine that you developed a very keen eye on this, and now you could determine what is a valuable deck and what is not a valuable deck. But I'm actually still hooked on your concept that it's not just collecting the cards; it's how to shuffle the cards. And does magic come into it? Uh, Card tricks? Do you know how to do that?
1: Well, cardistry kind of like branched out of magic, and A lot of like magicians know a little bit of cardistry and a lot of cardists know a little bit of magic. I would never consider myself to be a magician. Uh, I can do a few like very, very basic tricks and I have a good working knowledge of magic. So if I see a magic trick, I have enough knowledge to like piece together uh, how like sleight of hand with cards works to be able to be like, oh, I know how that trick works and be able to tell you how it was done.
0: And you got to tell me when you weren't able to shuffle, were you the type of person that would just like put the cars on the table and, you know, like 52 pickup where you just spread it all out? I know you did it underneath the table, but when you were younger, did you do that? Because I used to do that.
1: Yeah, I did that quite a <laughs> bit when I was younger. And it was funny because when I first started learning card history, there's some tricks where like you'll watch somebody do it on like a YouTube video or an Instagram post and you'll be like, oh, that doesn't look that hard. And then you try doing it and you're like, okay, I don't understand how you move your fingers like
0: that. You need to be like a contortionist of your hand to be able to do some of this stuff. I feel like when you've been trying it, like sometimes it just exploded in your hands and the card just went flying everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean,
1: like, I always tell people because I get a lot of like people that are new to cardistry that will send me messages on Instagram. being like, dude, how do I like learn how to do this? And I'm like, find a soft surface to start practicing on. So you're not like dropping cards and ding them up on like a hard surface and like you know a bed is a great place to start practicing just sit on
0: your bed and practice because if you fall in there i'll fall onto like a relatively soft surface and they're easy to pick up did you actually ever find cards like a couple days later You're like oh what the ace of spades <laughs> there's still like cards that were pulling like out of my couch to this day from when i was like learning initially do you ha- have you pulled out enough cards to make a new deck Yeah,
1: no, I probably have pulled out enough different cards from, like, weird locations in my, like, home theater room in my basement to put together an entire separate deck of cards.
0: It's a museum of cards when people go visit. Do you actually have your... You still own the first deck of cards you've started that collection, or no?
1: Yes, I do. The deck is called Memento Mori by Chris Ramsey, and it's got this, like really cool watercolored, pixelated skull on the back of it and uh yeah it's just like it's really dope and i still have that deck it's like one
0: of my favorite i think handling decks of cards out there and uh, i'm sure for people who are listening will they be, be able to see this on instagram this first deck
1: yeah, if you go to my Instagram, it's it's early on my Instagram, um, and anybody that's interested, like the Memento Mori's, they're distributed by a company called Murphy's Magic. You probably wouldn't be able to find them at like Walmart or you know like a dollar store, but if you go to any kind of like magic shop, they typically sell them. Um, most online card resellers will put them up for sale on their websites and stuff like that. So like they're definitely out there, and they're not too too difficult to track down if you're interested. Well,
0: there you go. So I'm sure there's a magic shop or a card shop in everybody's area, or at least not too far. So if you're interested in cards, go check that out. Now, for you, you said your collection was 74 decks of cards so far. Do you have an objective? Like, do you want to get an even 100 or 500? Is there a limit?
1: The issue with collecting playing cards is that they're so small and like relatively inexpensive. Like, one of the most expensive like new decks that i own is like $50 for a deck they're called the Dan and Dave Private Reserves and this deck of playing cards literally has like the tuck cases like a a brown paper with like gold foiling on it and then on the one side where they seal it they seal it with a wax seal it's like stamped in and then the cards themselves are like a very dark brown with uh with gold foiling on them and that's on the back side on the face cards all of the face cards have Like, where it would typically be yellow is all gold foiled. And so, like, it's definitely, like, a very luxurious deck of cards. They're fairly hard to come by. Um, What Dan and Dave do, they only printed 2,500 decks of these cards. And what they'll do is they'll release them on their website, like dananddave.com. And they'll release, like, 10 of them. And they'll only be for sale until those 10 sell out. And then you might not be able to get them again for six more
0: months. So those are the sought-out after cards and the decks of cards you want to get.
1: Yeah. So something like that, like I do own a deck of Dan and Dave private reserves. So something like that is is really cool. But even with that, it's like $50 for a deck and that's on the high end. Most stuff you're talking like 5 to $10 for a deck. So because the cost is pretty cheap and the size of the card is relatively small, it's very easy to just be like, oh, that's a cool deck. I'm going to pick that up and add it to the collection. And then one thing leads to another and you've got a sock drawer that the socks (laughs) have been moved out of and is now full of playing cards. Much to like my girlfriend's dismay, I have like a bad habit of buying cars. And so right now she's like limited me to four cars. And she's like, until you get rid of a car, you can't buy another one. Whereas with playing cards, like you don't need to find somewhere to park something that's that large or put something that's that large. So they're easy to just, like I said, stuff
0: in a sock drawer. Did you put some of the cards in your cars?
1: My daily driver typically has, I, I drive a 2019 Crosstrek. There's usually about four or five decks of cards in the glove box at any one point in time.
0: Uh, now, speaking about the cards themselves, do you collect a specific type of playing cards? Let's say based on the material, what region it's from, or even time period. Let's say cards that were made from 1930. Uh, No, I'm more interested in the art of the playing card. There's some stuff
1: out there that I... Like the art really resonates with me, or it has some kind of significant value. I feel um, in terms of something that resonates with my life. Um, so a great example is I bought a deck of Bruce Lee playing cards. All of the face cards have like a quote by Bruce Lee on them, and I'm a big fan of like more his philosophy than his like kung fu movies. Uh, but it's a great like motivational deck of cards just to have around, and like sometimes you just flip through it and you're like, yeah.
0: What, is, what does Bruce have to say today? <laughs> That's awesome. Like you just pick a random card. You're like, you know what? This is my motivation for today.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's just stuff like that. And then some of the stuff that I buy, I, well, I won't buy it because I necessarily like the deck of cards. It's something that I buy because I know from a collector's standpoint, it's going to appreciate
0: in value. Over time. Okay. And speaking about over time, um, do these cards tend to have a date on them? Like, you know, when they're made? And if so, what is the oldest deck of cards you have? Some stuff will be dated.
1: Uh, So your typical deck of bicycle playing cards, for example, uh, there's two variants you can get. There's what's called the USPCC Blue Seal, which was printed in the Ohio factory, and they closed that factory down in 1996. So if you get a Blue Seal deck you know that deck is from pre-96. Uh, if you get a Black Seal deck, you know that it was printed between about 93 and current, like present day. So that's one way to identify. Uh, some stuff is like limited production. So they'll only produce it for how many ever decks they make. So it'll be one year that they printed 5,000 decks. And when those 5,000 decks have entered the market, that's it. You won't be able to buy them again. And that's just kind of comes with the knowledge of what's out there in the world and what you can get Uh, and keeping
0: an eye on the market and when stuff enters and leaves you don't have a deck of cards that you know how old they are like you don't have an oldest deck of cards because some of them are dated and some of them are not dated correct
1: yeah okay no that's that's completely fair what you'll see a lot in the world of playing cards as well is you'll see like a version one and then you'll see like a new
0: color release of that same deck that will be the version two and are they released at the same time or like later on in the future No, typically you see about a year gap between a V1 and a V2. Okay, so it's that, ooh, I want to have all the different types of versions. like the Infinity Stones, you got to get them all. Yeah. For you, if you had, this is a tough question, but if you had to choose your three favorite decks, what would they be and why?
1: I really like, there's a deck of cards that came out. it, It started as a Kickstarter campaign, I think it was like last summer. And I just got them in the mail in like February of this year uh, called the Bitcoin Playing Cards. They're printed by the Legends Playing Card Company in, uh, I think they're in Singapore somewhere in Southeast Asia. And the cards themselves, because they're printed by a different card printer, they feel different. And I really like the feel of those cards. Um, So they're probably on that list. There's a deck called the Bicycle Blackbeards the bicycle blackbeards are like a pirate themed deck of cards and every single card has like a unique face that is themed after a famous pirate. So obviously like the King of spades is blackbeard himself, but there's also like, I think Joseph Bannister's in there. I can't even remember what they all are off the top of my head, but they're all themed after famous pirates and I love pirates. Um, So that was pretty cool. And It's going to kind of be an oddity, especially because I'm not that big of a Neil Patrick Harris fan, Uh, but Theory 11 did a deck of uh, Neil Patrick Harris playing cards. And for people that don't know, uh, Neil Patrick Harris is like a big magician. And he actually took over management of the Magic Castle, which is like a secret hangout for magicians in LA. So the, the Neil Patrick Harris deck, what makes it really cool and like one of my favorite decks in my collection is... The two extra cards that you get with a deck of cards, because when they print them, they print 56 cards, not 54 cards. Um, they make a puzzle and the puzzle sends you to a website and there's five levels to the puzzle on the website. And so it kind of just challenges you and gives you something else to do with the cards and kind of really gets you you are scratching your head and having fun with it.
0: Are these uh, puzzles part of a series? So like every now and then they release a new deck with a new puzzle? Theory 11 does release quite a few decks that have puzzles associated with them.
1: Uh, So they have that one. Uh, There is uh, the Project Red playing cards, which was for, uh, I think it was like an AIDS awareness deck. They have a puzzle associated with them. Uh, And then J.J. Abrams did a mystery deck with Theory 11. And the mystery deck also has a puzzle. There also was a special release that Theory 11 did uh, called the Mystery Brick. And it's 12 decks that come inside of a box that has like the JJ Abrams signature black question mark on it. Now, what makes this brick really unique is the brick comes locked from Theory 11, it's got a Cryptex lock on it, and they don't give you the code to open the lock. So my lovely girlfriend got this for me for my birthday. And I think it took us about 10 days to crack the lock. And I haven't opened all of the decks inside of it yet. But every single one of the 12 decks inside of the mystery brick is a different deck of Theory 11 playing cards. And it could include something like the Golden Monarchs, which for people that have seen Now You See Me, the Monarchs are the cards from the movie Now You See Me there's a special edition version of them that are white cards with uh, gold foiling on them that are called the gold monarchs and they're super rare. They were never sold to like the general public. The only way you can get them is by winning contests with theory 11 or through something like the mystery Brick.
0: Man, that's, that's very interactive and that's pretty awesome. Like, I would love to just try to have a break and just try to go at it. Uh without revealing too much, how did you figure out some of the codes? So for people who are listening, I don't want to don't want you to spoil it for them, but what are some key things that you have to keep in mind trying to figure out how to decrypt? Well, it? you
1: get this like letter from JJ Abrams that came with it, and it's like on a really nice, like heavy cardstock, and it's like typed up on a typewriter. Uh, and it tells like the story of his like grandfather going to like the magic shop in Manhattan and kind of like builds the allure of the story of the mystery. Um, and there's, it'd be hard to see in pictures, um, but there's some numbers and stuff embossed on in this card. And so kind of a combination of that and the box itself, if you take your time and puzzle your way through it and use
0: that card, the card is essential to solving the puzzle. Uh, you can generally figure out the code to the lock man that's pretty awesome i'd love to see one you're gonna have to send me the link after this podcast i'll throw it into the description so people who are interested can get one of these boxes or sorry bricks yeah they aren't cheap they're about 200 us dollars to get one
1: but they're really cool they come in a really dope like reclaimed wood box
0: yeah and it's a good it's a puzzle it's cards it's pretty cool the concept of it is awesome and now speaking about purchasing Do you have a method when it comes to purchasing new decks, whether it's uh, you like to buy online or buy in person? Because I know you'd say you like cards based on the art. On top of buying online or in person, uh, do you prefer abstract art or quotes like Bruce Lee or shapes? Uh, What is your process? A lot of what I buy has been done
1: online. There is a local magic shop for me here in Calgary they're called the vanishing rabbit. And I know they actually sell cards online as well. So if you want to buy cards from them, um, and not to hate on them, the Brent, the guy that owns the place, he's great, but sometimes his cards can be a little bit pricier, uh, just cause he's got obviously to ship them to himself and then he marks them up and then resells them. Uh, so if you, you shop around, you can find cheaper or better deals on playing cards out there. So sometimes I buy locally, uh, Art of Play is another really good website and they actually show both, usually a couple of the key cards uh, as far as the faces goes. And then they always show the back design as well as the tuck case on Art of Play. Uh, some stuff, Theory 11 uh, is available through Target in, in the US. We unfortunately don't get them on the shelves in Canada. Bicycle uh, is available pretty much anywhere you go. Um, as far as like Walmart dollar stores, any of that kind of stuff, most casinos use either bicycle or expert playing card, uh, company playing cards. Uh, and a lot of times, even if you just want a deck of cards to use, if you go to a casino at the end of the night and you say, Hey, can I have like a used deck of cards? They'll give you what's called a punched card that has like a hole through the middle of the cards that they know the casino has used that deck, but they'll usually just give them away if you want free cards or cheap cards. Uh, that's an option to explore. Um, as far as art goes, there's a lot of really cool Kickstarter campaigns as well. Um, so what I usually do is I'll keep an eye out on stuff like Kickstarter. I'll keep an eye out on Instagram. I keep an eye on r slash playing cards. And usually between the combination of those sources, you'll pick up on cards that do look really cool that you're like, oh, that that resonates with me. I'm very interested in that. I like kind of the luxury end of playing cards so just things that the the box makes me feel like ah when i open it and the cards
0: have like an emotional resonance with me if that makes sense yeah yeah, it's like falling in love at first sight yeah no i completely get it man speaking of which you have all these beautiful boxes do you plan on making a display out of them or just keeping them in not not necessarily not necessarily a shoe box but stored away I've got, my sister got it for me for Christmas. I've got a display case that holds,
1: I think it's like 24 decks or something like that. So usually it's not actually full right now, but usually like some of my like favorite decks are in there or anything super high value. I've got a few decks that are signed uh, that I'll put in there. And usually the signed decks, like I'll have a signed version of the deck and then I'll have another version that's not signed and I'll open the unsigned version and use that to like play with. And the signed version can just stay sealed in the cellophane and stay in the the display case.
0: No, that makes sense. Uh, You get to play with the cards and also appreciate it and its full contact value where our greasy hands won't touch it. Yeah. Always wash your hands before you're handling
1: cards because you'll wreck them pretty quick if you don't. They start to like clump together. Do you, speaking of which, do you have a pair of gloves that you use when you deal with your cards? No, I'm pretty good about letting people like touch play, handle, feel any of like the oddities that I've accumulated over the years. And I find that for the most part, like, cause I mean, I've got, I love Transformers. Uh, so I've got like some of the masterpiece Transformers in my basement. And I find for the most part, people like usually the first time or two that they come over to the house, they'll be like, Oh, that's really cool. And they'll like pick it up and play with it. And then they'll put it back on the shelf and they kind of have satisfied themselves. Whereas <laughs> if you take that if you take
0: that allure away and be like hey you
1: can't touch that, people are always going to be like I want to.
0: Just when you're not looking, they'll just touch it with one finger and then all right, I'm satisfied. But I do understand just having a room full of things that look very interesting and just people not touching it is pretty much just a museum. But you at your house, you want people to feel safe and feel comfortable and ask questions because that's cool to have something cool and people get to say hey, what's that? What's that from? Can I hold it? And as long as they're gentle, I'm like you said, there's no problem with that.
1: Yeah, and like I mean It's kind of like having a photo album on your table and not letting anybody ever look at it. Like, what's the point? Or like cars are meant to be driven. So don't buy a car and then park it. Like, that's a shame when that happens. So I love that everything that I have in my house that is on display, people can pick up and touch and interact with, be it playing cards or oddities or
0: toys or whatever it might be. The only thing that you don't necessarily need to pick up or will never pick up because it's never ready is an avocado. You never know when it's ready. So you just leave it there. (laughs) Uh, What would you say is the best part about being a cardist on an emotional and personal level? It's opened the doors
1: for me to interact with all kinds of interesting people from all over the world. Uh, When I started this endeavor last January, I had no idea that my Instagram would grow to like over 10,000 followers. And it's been a very interesting experience being a little bit older uh, and having that kind of a following because you notice that these younger kids look up to you to a point where I've answered questions about providing like 16 year old boys on the other side of the world with dating advice. I've just, I've had this chance to communicate and interact with all kinds of interesting people. Uh, I mentioned the Magic Castle earlier and... I've been invited by several people to go to the Magic Castle, which for somebody that's part of the general public is usually like a fairly off-limits thing. So that's been really, really cool. And yeah, I just, I love that the internet and this world of playing cards has made the world that much smaller. And now all of a sudden I'm communicating with people all over the world, like India and Sweden
0: and the US and everything. It's awesome. But that's great to hear that this hobby of yours actually made you connect with a bunch of people and learn. I'm sure you've learned new things from them as much as they learned things from you as well.
1: Yeah. And it's changed. I always, prior to becoming this like online personality, I always kind of like shrugged off cyberbullying, and I've taken a very strong stance against it and had to like intervene when people are trying to just be jerks on my own social media and be like, Hey, listen, like, don't do that or I'll block you.
0: It's like, if somebody came over to your house and just started Yelling profanity or just telling you off you don't have to sit there. you can kick them out. it's your house. It's your Instagram page. you can kick them out. I completely understand your point of view.
1: I was gonna say it's just one of those things where in general online, like I think it's so easy to like be just a total jerk to somebody else that you don't know because they're on the other side of a screen and to like separate that personality
0: makes it just that much more difficult and that's why it's good to meet people in face to face because you you tend to be different persons when you're on the internet. Well, and in real life, I like to think that I'm the same on the internet. And in real life, I don't want to mislead anybody, but there are some people, and this is not turning into a bashing of people on the internet. Whatever it makes you happy, you do you, but be respectful. That's that's all I got to say on that note. But back to cards, because this became a, a very like anti-bully podcast, which is great. But uh, yes, back to cards. Uh, what would you say was the biggest challenge for you when you first started collecting cards? When I first started collecting. Because I had been, I was
1: new and there's obviously this backlog, like playing cards, especially like as we know them in North America, have been available for like over a hundred years. And there's this initial inrush into the hobby where you're like, I need to get that. I need to get that. I want to get that. I need to track that down. And there was a point where I went through a phase about three months in where I was trying to back every single cool Kickstarter project that I saw for playing cards. I was like, I need to get them all. And it took me probably like six to eight months of being in the hobby before I kind of realized like it's impossible. You could never buy every
0: single deck of cards that's coming out and just to buy what you like. You have that uh, fear of missing out aspect where you wanted to get everything, but then you had an epiphany saying, you know what? I don't need everything. It's like anybody who, I guess, who starts into a new hobby, they're like, oh, I need this, I need that, I need that. And then if they don't have that, they don't have the latest card, they don't have the newest deck from this country or anything, then you're not as of a, considered as a collector as the other people, kind of thing, right?
1: Yeah. And there's some older decks, like, I mean, it sounds really like stupid because you're talking about pieces of paper, <laughs> but there's some old decks that I think people look at with like, like look at through rose colored glasses and are like, oh, that was one of the greatest decks of all time but like paper technology i feel like has evolved over the last 100 years and i feel like the people at the united states playing card company or you know legends playing card company or the expert playing card company or any of the other like big manufacturers of playing cards i think that they know what they're doing when they develop a new coating, or a new paper stock or a new embossing for the playing cards. Like they know what they're doing. They're not just putting garbage out onto the market, if that makes sense. And so like when there are advancements in the technology, like a deck that everybody looks at and goes, Oh, that's the pinnacle of playing cards is the, um, the Jerry nuggets. And from what I understand about the Jerry nuggets, versus today's playing cards, they're not better. They're
0: just different. So what you're saying is collecting cards is very subjective.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of people and I always laugh at this. There's a lot of people out there that will say something like, oh, Fontaines are the best deck of playing cards ever. If you get Fontaines, you will become better at cardistry or magic or whatever. And I laugh because Fontaine's are A, one of the stupidest decks of playing cards of all time. And B, they're literally printed on the exact same paper, finish, and stock uh encodings as like your standard deck of bicycle playing cards that you can buy for $3 at Walmart. And
0: Fontaine's are like $50 for a deck. If you raise the price, somebody out there will buy it. Um, What would you say is your current biggest challenge? I like to...
1: With my Instagram, I like to incorporate playing cards into like, just unique environments and incorporate them with like an adventure lifestyle, something that I kind of pride myself on. And I found recently, it's kind of I've reached almost a plateau where I don't know how I can continue to push the limits of photographing cards in cool and unique environments. I am actually going to be doing a photo shoot with the deck of playing cards. This this will go to show you how far I've pushed the limits of playing cards. They're a plastic deck of playing cards. So the the, the card stock isn't actually made out of paper. It's made out of plastic. Uh, and I'm going to be shooting it while scuba diving.
0: That's cool. And this is going to be posted on your Instagram? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And when, wait when is this happening? Because this episode is coming out in probably two months. So maybe is it before or after? I'm hoping that it'll probably be around the same time this episode comes out. Perfect, so uh, if it does come out a little bit before, I will post it in the description, and if it's after, I will post it in the description as well, so uh, you guys will be able to see it, whether it's before or after. This might be an interesting question, but has collecting cards helped you relax? I don't know if I'd say it's helped me relax,
1: but over the last 18 months, I've definitely started keeping a deck of playing cards on me just about everywhere I go. And I find instead of like being somewhere and pulling out my phone to fidget on my phone, I'll pull out a deck
0: of playing cards and I'll fidget with the cards. That's cool. Even in the dead of winter.
1: Even in the dead of winter. It doesn't matter where I am.
0: (laughs) Your fingers fall off. It's fine. You have another hand. If you
1: scroll through my Instagram, you'll find some pictures uh, where I was actually doing cardistry while snowboarding.
0: You know what, snowboarding and shuffling cards wasn't hard enough as it is. You might as well combine them together and you're going into into water doing it. Next thing you know, you know what, I would not be surprised if you do it while skydiving. You might need like some weighted cards, but...
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think there's some logistical challenges to figure out with that, but it's definitely like, I've had a few people actually send me messages being like, dude, you got to go skydiving with a deck of playing cards.
0: The moment it leaves your hands, it's up in the air. And the challenge is you would just have to cash them before you land. Boom. (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> All fifty-two of them are fifty-four. Yeah. Has collecting uh, playing cards ever stressed you out? So on the flip side,
1: I would say the most stressful part of collecting cards. Uh, there's been a few times where like you see a, a like Kickstarter campaign for a deck that's coming out, you get super stoked for it, and you're like, mm, I'm gonna back that. You back it, and then for some reason, either the like company was like, put the Kickstarter campaign together, we'll cancel the campaign, or I've had a few that I've funded that have been pulled off of Kickstarter. And it's kind of like, man, like, what's going on? And you have this, like, moment of confusion and, like, disappointment. And you're just like, I want to know what's going on. And a lot of times, they won't even tell you why they cancel the campaign or what happened to it. And you just kind of have to hope that they resurface another time later on, uh, which
0: unfortunately doesn't always happen. On that note, would you... Like after all these years of collecting cards and you have a good knowledge of how cards are made and designs that would be interesting, would you ever consider making your own deck of cards? Yes. And I'm hoping to start putting the pieces of that puzzle together.
1: Uh, if anybody is a like does digital graphic design and wants to get in touch with me, I have ideas. I have the audience to do it. Uh, I just I'm not an artist myself. Uh, feel free to shoot me an email. It's just Rob at 421 Media
0: Perfect. I'll put that email below. I'll mention that whoever's listening, who's a graphic designer, anybody who's interested in working with you and on this idea will be able to get in contact with you. Which... I'm
1: planning on doing it through Kickstarter. I think it's the best way to kind of judge how many decks I would be able to like reasonably print and get out in, into the world, mm-hmm. uh, whether that be a thousand decks or 2,500 decks or 5,000 decks, but just a kind of way to judge, engage what people are going to want.
0: What are some misconceptions about people who are
1: cardists? I think everybody assumes that cardists are magicians and vice versa. And it's not always the case. Like I said, for myself, I've got a good working knowledge of magic and I kind of have a foot in that magic door. But I definitely would never
0: consider myself a magician. 100% cardistry. Okay. And do you have any pet peeves when it comes? Because I know you mentioned about people collecting and you must have this one. Do you have any other pet peeves?
1: I just, I wish people would have a better understanding of the card stock and associated elements of the card instead of just spewing misinformation about which playing cards are... People will say, this is the best card. It'll make you better. And that's not always the case. Like I said, the Fontaines are a great example. It's a deck of cards that often sells for $50 plus dollars, And they're literally exactly the same other than the art on the card. And it's not even fancy art. It's a big giant F on the back is what you get from your bicycle playing
0: cards. It's a capital F though, right? No, it's a lowercase. <laughs> so it's not even like a capital. It's not <clears throat> right in your face. Okay. Um, you kind of answered this before, but I'm asking it in a different way. What has being a cardist taught you in life? Did it teach you to be more patient or organize things or I don't know. What did it teach you? I would say that it's probably taught me a little bit of patience. There's definitely been like
1: a determination element associated with it where I was like, I just got to keep pushing through uh,
0: even when it sucks and you're like, I don't want to keep doing this. It doesn't sound like you're slowing down anytime soon and also you're going to go swimming with them. So I have no doubt that you're going to reach a 100 within this year for sure. Oh, probably by the end of the year, I'll have 100 different decks. By the end of the week, you said? Yeah? <laughs> no, by the end of the year. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, could you imagine just after this podcast, you're like, you know what, I'm going to go buy the exact amount to have 100 decks right now.
1: I would say I've actually probably slowed down a little bit because the first couple of months, like I said, there's a lot of like old stuff that's out there that you're trying to track down and get a hold of. But now I've got most of the older stuff that I would want to have in my collection. So now it's Basically, just buying the new stuff when I see it. And I'm like, oh, that's really
0: cool. I want to get that. And I'm sure it's a very competitive field, and people are going to try to outdo each other and make some cool illustrations. Or maybe somebody's going to do a 3D printed version of cards. They're not going to be actual playable, but it'd be cool to have a part of a collection. Whoever has a 3D printer and is listening to this, maybe that's something you can try to make. But yeah, just the idea, the future of playing cards has so much potential. Because you were saying there's some that have gold flakes or. Gold cover, which is cool.
1: I do think the future of playing cards is actually going to be like the the next big thing. And the person that figures out how to do this and how to do it well is going to make a lot of money. Is going to be the tuck case. If you can find a new way to open a deck of cards without making it much bigger than it needs to be, there's going to be a lot of money in that.
0: So whoever is listening, once again, Rob is just throwing all the ideas and uh, just pick up wherever you want and make it happen. And we'll of course, work with Rob because he's a man of many ideas. Do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in starting to collect cards? So like one solid piece of advice. This is going to just apply to people in
1: general, I think. Uh, but I think that everybody out there should go by like a nice deck of cards go drop like 10 15 get yourself a really nice deck of cards and like don't be afraid to use it show it off to like your friends pull it out for a poker night and just enjoy it people really really like when you pull out a fancy deck of cards and they go oh that's cool
0: you know what you're absolutely right i've never seen anybody like oh these fancy decks or these fancy cards oh, i don't want to play poker anymore like okay i'll just take your money but uh no i you know what since you said that i'm reevaluating thinking do i actually own a fancy deck of cards i know my parents they had some like maybe one but then they had a bunch of joke cards like the ones you would get in souvenir shops and stuff like that but nothing very fancy but you know that's something i'd be interested in investing in just to have one that one cool deck of cards I've always been interested in plastic cards for the same idea like, oh, you can play like if you're on in a pool, you can play cards kind of idea. I had one and then I lost them. But yeah, something to keep in mind.
1: Yeah. And plastic cards work great if people want to go camping. Um, that's usually like I I think I have three decks of plastic cards and that's primarily
0: what we use them for is for when we go camping. Because you can just throw them and if you forget them outside by accident, they're not ruined. They're also great for playing drinking games with <laughs> if you're of legal drinking age wherever you're listening to this are you telling me people spill beer or alcohol when they drink no that never happens (laughs) (laughs) never happens no people who hold cards are very delicate with them and the drink is in the other hand they don't try to hold both in the same hand but back to you do you i know we mentioned this at the beginning but do you have any social media websites or links you would like to add in and repeat uh you can check me out on youtube it's uh just 421 Media House
1: on YouTube. Uh, If you want to listen to my podcast, which is a long format, casual interview, uh, we just do deep dives on topics. And sometimes we get off topic and explore whatever tangent we get on. Uh, It's 421 Archives available on pretty much every major podcast hosting service. Uh, And if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's just 421 Rob on Instagram. I am very good at replying to people's messages as long as it's not just like, hey. Just say, hey, right. <laughs> yeah, because I get a lot of messages from people that are just, hey, but if you send me messages that are like, hey, I've got a question for you, I will gladly answer anybody's playing card questions. Uh, like I said, I've been able to give out dating advice to 16 year old boys before, you know, I, I've dealt with all kinds of stuff. If you have a question for me, I will answer it to the best of my abilities in a very honest way.
0: Perfect. So for all of you who are listening, who are interested in getting in contact with Rob, I'll put all the information below. You can click it, follow, like, subscribe, all the above. And yeah, he's a great guy to talk to. We went on for what, 45 minutes to an hour when I was on his podcast. We talked about everything and anything underneath the sun. And it was a great conversation. The time just flew by pretty much like this podcast episode. But yeah, I highly recommend you go check him out and you will not be bored. Guaranteed. For this podcast, you know, because I was on yours, you asked me questions. So on my podcast, I tend to ask you, do you have any questions for me about collecting cards or being a cardist? Do you think you're going to go out now and look for a high deck, high end deck cards? Actually, you know what? I am going to do that after this recording. Like, that's what I was going to ask you. Is there any good website that I can actually check them out? Or do I have to like, just go around in random, random spots? The biggest one, like the number one one that I would recommend checking out is Art of Play. Art of Play? Okay, perfect. I will put that in the descriptions too, and I'll check it out. You know, I was thinking like, during our conversation, I was thinking this would be a cool idea if like you had a floor, but so a glass floor, but underneath is uh, cards, like the coolest cards you would just have under there, like your collection. Would that be something you'd be interested in? Maybe <laughs> maybe I don't know where I'd put a glass floor right now. it doesn't necessarily have to be glass because yeah that could be dangerous if you drop something on it, the whole floor's ruined, but me me either maybe a wall or something or would that be something that you were thinking in at one point in your life?
1: Well there's something available called an uncut sheet that you can get that is literally an uncut sheet of playing cards. they're kind of hard to come by uh they're usually fairly rare when you buy them expect to be paying in the neighborhood of 50 to 75 dollars for an uncut sheet but they do make really cool wall posters
0: uh so i do have a couple of uncut sheets hanging on my wall okay there you go and this is also on instagram uh i don't think i've ever shared pictures of my uncut sheets all right this is only for his eyes guys don't don't get greedy you don't need to see everything in his house but uh yeah that's perfect but yeah
1: for people that are interested like if you want to see like some really cool wall art with playing cards uh, and if you're interested in getting something like that for yourself, just like go on the internet, look for uncut sheet of whatever playing card. Most times you can get a hold of them. Like I said, generally, they're available like when the cards launch and then uh, they'll be available in the secondary market. Uh, values do range uh, on the low end. Like I said, expect to pay about $50. I've seen them go for thousands before, depending on kind of the deck.
0: that's 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 a lot of money to spend now this is another i don't know if it's considered a cheesy question but have you ever considered or if you already have business cards that look like playing cards i have considered that but i don't have them yet i'm i have a feeling you already have the idea in mind of what you want it to look like and i have to ask what number or would it be a king queen jack ace or joker what would be the card I was actually thinking what
1: I would do is I'd get like a deck of 52 cards printed and then I would get like my contact information printed on the backside of the playing card.
0: That's cool. So
1: you'd still have like whatever the face value of the card is. And then like, hopefully if somebody has a big enough social network of people that know me, they might be able to accumulate enough cards that they could put all of my business cards together and use them to play cards with.
0: But you have to save the queen of heart for your girlfriend. Yeah. I don't think she'd be too happy if you gave that out to somebody else. Yeah. But that's a pretty cool idea. That's like, it's kind of like a puzzle aspect where you try to gather everybody together. Like, who has the uh, four spades? Oh, I got it. I have it. Who has the three of heart? I do. I do. That's pretty cool. I like that idea. I like the creativeness of the playing cards. Has that been done before? Not that I know of. Okay. So whoever's listening, do not steal this idea. This is Rob. You've heard it here. The date (laughs) is... June 4th, 2004. Yeah, so, but it's, this episode's coming out later, but it was recorded on June 4th, 2019. So, the idea has been sealed with Rob. So, yeah, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Rob, for coming on my show and going into a deep talk about cards. Now, I'm definitely more interested. I, I, I want to start looking it up. I don't know where to start. He told me to go check out that website, which I definitely will. And I got to figure out what, what deck of cards speak to me. So, yeah, thank you so much again, Rob. Oh, thank you, Alex. It's great chatting with you. Yeah, once again, another long podcast, uh, Rob talking, I talking, and we're just having a great conversation. If you want to learn more about Rob, go check him out on his Instagram page, YouTube, and everything else. I'll put that in the description below. And if you'd like to be on my podcast, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And if you think this episode is going to be helpful for anybody, by all means, share it with friends, family, anybody who might be having a hard time and needs to just play with some cards because, you know what, cards are fun and it's always good to play with cards. You can have a good time, hopefully more good times than bad times. Don't play harsh games like the game of war with cards that can ruin friendships, but, you know, go fish. Fun game. Or you can be a cardist like Rob and do magic tricks. Well, not professionally, but just casually or shuffle. The possibilities are endless. And uh, yeah, so until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care.